Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the World Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia, and 1650 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast.vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast.vhha.com. I'm Selena Lorth, VHHA, and today we're excited to be joined by Erin Davis, a nurse at VCU Health Community Memorial Hospital in South Hill. For a conversation about her work, a heroic deed she performed to help strangers in need during an emergency situation, and more. So welcome, Erin. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Let's start by getting to know you a bit more. We know you're a hospital nurse with, shall we say, a sense for the moment, which we'll discuss here shortly. What we want to know is who you are as a person. Since many people listening to this probably don't know you, what are some essential things about Erin you'd want our audience to know? Well, I am a palliative nurse navigator here at Community Memorial Hospital, and I just recently became a grandmother times two, which is a very amazing thing. Someone recently just asked me, what should I be when I grow up? And I was like, being a grandmother is the best thing to be when you grow up. So I moved down here to South Hill about eight years ago, and I love the community of South Hill, of everyone that I work with and the family that works here at Community Memorial Hospital with me. Awesome, and congratulations on becoming a grandmother. That's awesome. As I understand it, you currently work as a med search nurse in support of patients and clinical care teams, and you also currently work as a palliative care nurse to support people with serious and life-threatening conditions. This work can include supporting patients with advanced planning and end-of-life care. In fact, you helped establish the palliative program at Community Memorial. Tell us about what inspired you to pursue that. I was actually a stay-at-home mom for about 15 years, and then I went back to nursing school and became a nurse eight years ago. And I worked here for about three years, and at our hospital, we didn't have any specialty in palliative care or end-of-life care here. And so I saw that it was a need that this community needed. And so even though I'd only been a nurse for a few years, I decided that I wanted to try to meet that need here. I had to figure out how to meet that need with the limited resources in a rural area. And so I actually did every training that I could get my hands on and got myself certified as a hospice and palliative care nurse. And then I presented to the hospital um, and I did research to prove the need for a palliative care program here at the hospital and the financial benefits of having a program like that at this hospital. And I presented it to a bunch of committees and a bunch of boards at the hospital. And I partnered with Dr. Danny Narika in palliative team in Richmond to offer telemedicine services here and to support me in in building this program. And I had to kind of show also that a nurse-led program would work. And so it took about a year and a half of convincing and presenting, and we created my job here as palliative nurse navigator to meet the needs of this community. And that was almost four years ago. And I have worked with hundreds of patients here. And I I hope I've been a great asset to this hospital and this community. You know, as a newer nurse and in the medical field, I death is not one of the easiest things to talk about, but it is going to happen. And so my grandmother was actually a nurse and she owned funeral homes. And so in our family, it was, you know, we realized that it was something that was going to happen and it needs to be approached with as much respect and consideration as as other aspects of your life. And so 
it's not easy to talk about, and it's not an easy job most days, and especially shortly after I started came the COVID pandemic, and so that added even more difficulties, the losses that, that the families faced here. And so just knowing that if these bad times are going to happen and I can make those times any easier for those patients and families and explain what is happening and helping them to make their advanced care planning decisions and so that we're always going to honor what the patient wants. So that's why I do what I do is, is for the patients and their families. Thank you so much. And the palliative care patient population and the clinical care provided is distinct from med surge nursing. For people who are unfamiliar, what are some of the differences between those roles in terms of types of care and patient population? So palliative care is more focused on patients that have a life-limiting illness. And I get asked a lot the difference in hospice and palliative care. So palliative care you can have when you're still receiving curative treatment. Um, And then hospice is when you're not actively seeking curative treatment. So hospice is kind of part of palliative care, but palliative care can start earlier on in the disease process when you're still receiving curative treatment, but you may have a high symptom burden. So the difference is the patients that I deal with are chronically ill and have a condition that is really affecting their quality of life. So in just regular med surge nursing, you may see things that, oh, it's more of an acute injury or illness that they're going to completely recover from, whereas the patients that, that are my focus are ones that this is going to be something that they deal with chronically, that could end up, you know, leading to their end of life. It's not something that usually it's more about planning and knowing where this is going. It's not It's not usually something that is going to be a quick fix and we're going to fix them and get them back out of here. Our goal is to help manage their symptoms and improve their quality of life and help them to have the best quality of life and enjoy the time that they do have here to manage and managing their symptoms so that they can feel as best as they can for as long as they can. So serious clinical situations often require an urgent response. And that's just what you did, Erin, when you leapt into action after witnessing a serious traffic accident over the summer on Interstate 85. It was during a morning downpour and a vehicle in front of you skidded out of control and flipped over. I imagine this was a nerve-wracking moment for you as a witness, but you kept your wits about you and got busy getting involved to help people in need. In your own words, could you tell us what happened in that situation and your role in the response to it? It was very terrifying. I've never seen a car roll like that in real life. You know, you see it on TV all the time, but it is quite different when it's real life. And my experience has been people that were involved in in rollover accidents, those that were thrown from the vehicles are very seriously injured. Critically injured is, is what I have had the experience with. So when I saw the vehicle roll, I just had no idea what I was going to encounter. And so I immediately pulled over and my hands were shaking and I had I got a new car back in November and I could not find where my hazard lights were and I was just shaking and I just called 911 and told them that what I witnessed and I kept them on the phone where I was able to tell them my location. I happened to pull over right near a mile marker sign so I could tell them exactly where we were on the interstate and and just immediately ran up to the vehicle. She she was right in front of me when she started swerving and I even really backed off because I was afraid she was going to come back and, and hit me the way she was so close to me. And I just, once the car finally stopped, I ran over there so I could, you know, let 911 know how many people were in the car, how serious the injuries were. And she just, the the mom popped up right, um, right out of the, the car was still laying on its side and she was right on the driver's door. And she just said, please get my kids out of the car. And so I asked, you know, is everybody okay? Is it, is, should I be concerned about moving the children? Are they 
and there was one broken window. Out of all the broken windows, there was one broken window that was right where I could look down, and I saw these little terrified faces, but they all were okay, and they were just terrified, and after everything they'd been through, I don't blame them, and so I just started helping the kids get out of the car, and every time I'd take one out, I would, you know, quickly check them over, and the um, four kids, it was two girls that were 10 years old, and then um, a nine-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy, and they were all um, they were all fine. There was one mark on her neck from where they all wore their seatbelts, thankfully. A lot of times um, when people are traveling and um, where this family was traveling on a vacation, sometimes, you know, you think, let me just take off my seatbelt for a little bit. I want to get comfortable or I want to take a nap because they'd been in the car for hours. And luckily, every single one of them had still had their seatbelts on and they walked away because they were wearing those seatbelts. Yeah, I'm so glad you were there. And like you said, you know, it turns out there were six people inside the vehicle that rolled onto the highway, the Benjamin family, who were traveling back from vacation in North Carolina. And like you said, they walked away from what looked to be a catastrophic crash with only minor injuries, thanks in part to them wearing seatbelts at the time of the crash. They were transported to Community Memorial for immediate care, after which hospital staff made sure they were fed, clothed, and supported as they picked up the pieces and made travel arrangements to get home. Could you tell us about how so many of your colleagues stepped up to help and what that says about them? It was amazing. When you know when I moved down here working in this community and this hospital, because it is a small area, everyone is family and everyone looks out for each other. And over the years of working here, I have seen fundraisers and I've just seen this not just this hospital, but this community, pour out love and support when a family is in need in this community. And I didn't expect no less than what I what this family received when we arrived here. We were all soaked. And so when we arrived here, they had um, the one patient in the car needed to be seen. And so the, we took the children to the cafeteria. That was kind of our first stop was to get them something to eat. They hadn't had breakfast. And just from, you know, Someone from radiology asking, can I get the kids drinks? To the gentleman working there, Chop, as soon as he knew that they were that they didn't eat pork, his, I, he specifically cooked turkey sausage for them. He made whatever they wanted, and he was a smiling face, and he was so patient to these children that were still terrified. We had a laugh about, you know, country fried steak and, and grits because they were from up north and they weren't too familiar with some of the foods that we had here. We had Samantha, a, a nurse here, who went and got two of the girls' shoes because they were not wearing their shoes in the accident and things went flying all around the car and they didn't have their shoes. And so we had a lady from the food service that helped get all their meals together and helped with them and had her son, who is another gentleman at, um, that worked the food service, bring in some sweatshirts because we were all just even though it was a summer morning when you're that soaked to the core, it was still really chilly. So he brought sweatshirts for all the kids to wear, which they wore throughout the entire day. The ER gave us meal tickets to get meals for, for the family, for breakfast, for lunch. I went to the cafeteria to get a shirt. I got myself a shirt because even I had a change of clothes, but they were still soaked. And I got a T-shirt for the mom so she would remember her visit here. And the person in the gift shop gave me a little ornament that was talking about how, what a blessing people are and, and gave me candy for all the kids. There was somebody in our emergency department that got the kids games and coloring books because essentially, which happens occasionally in our area, when people are traveling and they have a car accident, they're stranded. And so they had no vehicle because their vehicle was totaled and they were stuck here for about 12 hours with us that day. 
They made numerous attempts to try to get a rental car to finish their trip back to Maryland, but in a rural area, there were no rental car companies that had a vehicle big enough for six people. So they actually had to wait for um, her husband to drive down from Maryland. He had to rent a vehicle up there that was big enough for all of them, drive down here and pick them up. So they were here for breakfast, lunch, and left shortly before dinner time. And, you know, security guard offered to drive them over to where their vehicle had been towed to get their things out of the car. Every single person I encountered that day just supported that family with, with love and made them just so comfortable to go from, from such a terrifying experience in the morning to be completely supported throughout the day that every person they encountered was so great with this family and really confirmed why I love working here and, and I love the people that I work with here. Not one person hesitated. So many people asked what they could do. It was just such an outpouring of love. It was very inspiring to see a family supported in such a way. That's awesome. Thank you so much. It's like so heartwarming to hear about all of that. So thank you so much for sharing. And since then, what update can you share with us about the Benjamin family and how they're doing? They are doing great. The kids are getting ready to, I think they started school back this week, and they are doing wonderful. And they were down here on vacation, and they were trying to get back to celebrate her father's 76th birthday. And so just this past weekend, they all gathered together as a family and celebrated that. And I think it was quite different this year because it truly was, you don't realize how fast things can happen and how fast that morning could have been totally different for that family. And so from talking to her, it definitely has, made her realize to be a little more thankful for things than you than you might have thought. And so celebrating his birthday this year, it was quite a bit more of a celebration of life and the fact that all of them are still here and how blessed they were that day. And thank you so much again for being with us today, Erin. Before we let you go, we do have a tradition on the Patients Come First podcast to ask our guests a pair of fun personal questions. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions. So please choose two numbers between 1 and 10 and I'll ask you the corresponding questions. Three and one. Three and one. All right. Number one, in the hypothetical scenario that you can anticipate your final day on earth, what would your last meal be? Crab legs. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yep. That, and that was the first thing that I thought. I can't think of anything else I would rather be than crab legs. Great and lots answer. of them. Like I need at least like 10 pounds probably. <laughs> awesome. And number three, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received and why does it stick with you? Oh, wow. Huh just to always do your best. And when you see a need, do something about it. And this is this is the advice that I continue on to give that even as a brand, you know, even at three years of being a nurse, I still felt like a brand new nurse. To see a need in this hospital and to be passionate about it and to go after it, that's what I always tell everyone. If you see something, do something about it. Don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. If you see something and you have the ability to do something, do it. And actually, I just figured out what the exact quote is. My first assistant director here had it, and it says, be fearless in your pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. And so even as scared as I was as a new nurse to do this, I knew it needed to be done, and I was passionate about it. So don't let your fears stop you. Always go after what you know needs to be done and and do it. So be fearless. That is great advice. I love that so much. And that will bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Erin Davis, for joining us today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me.